A special thanks to Galloping Ghost Arcade for making this episode possible and for hosting Sega Week. Located just outside Chicago in Brookfield, Illinois and open until 2 a.m. daily, Galloping Ghost Arcade is home to over 500 classic arcade machines. For $15, you can come in and play all the games you want all day long. Learn more at gallopingghostarcade.com. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up. Sega games, just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bit Swing Report Show. Get ready for Sega interviews and news with George and Barry. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Segabit Swing Report Show. I'm Barry. George is not here today because I'm here uh, in person, the first in-person podcast I think we've ever done. Seriously? Yeah, in the uh, 86 episodes. Um, I'm here with Chris Tang, who has done a lot of stuff. Uh, you've done competitive game championships with uh, mm-hmm. Nintendo World Champions. Chips. Nintendo World Championships in uh, 1990. Yeah, and then 1994, you had the Sonic and Knuckles. Yeah, Rock Sega, the Rock. Sonic and Knuckles, Rock the Rock, $25,000 on MTV, the big one, and you can check that out on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, and um, and uh, surprisingly, today you actually debuted a uh, an indie game that you've been working on. Yes. So we'll talk about and that, it's, too. Uh, something of uh, interest to Sega fans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess to start... Let's talk about. I always like to jump back to the beginning. So, what kind yes. of what kind of gamer were you? Like, what was your system? Wow. Okay. <clears throat> that's yeah. That's the interesting thing. Um, I mean, I started off like really little. I had like a ColecoVision, uh, but I was like probably too little to really appreciate it uh, fully at the time. But I knew I was a gamer at heart, and uh, you know, I'd go to the arcade, and you know, my grandma or my parents would give me a quarter, and you know, I'd throw a quarter down and play a game and I you know wasn't really good when I was little but uh, I would watch TV shows like Starcade and I would see the players on that show and I'd be inspired I'd be like wow I'm going to be good at games someday. Yeah. Uh, you know that's like so cool. Technology is cool and and that sort of thing and uh later on when the NES came out uh, I think that's probably when I had my first real passion for games like just completely develop, you know. I I got my copy of Super Mario Brothers um like it was a test market version of the Nintendo at the time. So no one else had it. No kids in school even knew what it was. But I was like yeah, at home playing like an arcade perfect version of Super Mario Brothers and that, like I understood how awesome that was. Um and very soon after that, I think I got the Sega Master System and uh, the thing I noticed was that the Sega Master System was uh I would make a lot of new friends um with people because if they had a Sega Master System, that means they were, like, really into it. That means that they probably had a Nintendo, too, and they were probably so hardcore that they'd, like, got everything. So there would be, like, kids in my school that I would borrow games from, and I wouldn't have to spend so much. Um, and they'd, like, borrow my game, and I'd borrow their games. And I, I found a lot of great games, um, particularly stuff like Govelius and Ease and Miracle Warriors, stuff that would be, like, I don't know, really expensive, and, you know, I'd, like, let them borrow, like, my crappy Afterburner or something. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that would be cool. Um so uh, as a gamer, I just like to play everything. Um, I played in the arcades a lot, so I got to be a big fan of Sega games, um, playing stuff like Space Harrier and uh, like Galaxy Force and Power Drift and a lot of stuff in the 90s were, were some of my extreme favorites. And uh, in terms of being a fan of uh, Sega console games, uh, Fantasy Star was such a huge game in my life. Uh, I had started winning video game tournaments. Uh, they had a Hawaii State Nintendo Championships. Uh, that Nintendo and uh, like the local department store in Hawaii called Holiday Mart had. Uh, it was on uh, Super Mario Brothers one, and the rules were like some of the best rules I'd ever seen for a tournament. And I've been in a lot of tournaments, and I've run helped run tournaments, and I'm actually the announcer for the uh, Tetris World Championships every year. And uh, in this contest, it was on Super Mario Brothers, a game that everybody knew in 1988, and the rules were get as far as you can with the most points and the most coins. So whoever beat the game with the most points would win. And uh, for a tournament of that time, those rules were extremely well thought out because you had to balance whether or not you got farther, 
or whether or not you took a risk and uh, wasted more time and got more points. But if somebody else beat the game, then like even if you had a higher score, you would lose. So I thought that was like an incredibly great tournament uh, rule set, and uh, I ended up winning, and I am the Hawaii State Nintendo champion. <laughs> a little reflection on how that um, impacts like my Sega fandom is that when they did interviews with me, of course they're going to ask me what my favorite video game is, and uh, they did that in the context of like, oh, it's Nintendo, I must like Nintendo games, and uh, they asked me what my favorite game was, and I said, it's Fantasy Star, and it's a Sega game, it's not a Nintendo game, <laughs> and uh, the interviewers would have to ask me, well, what's a Sega? Like, they would say, like, uh, they would not know of all the systems, so in their articles they would say, oh, well, not all Nintendo, not all video games are Nintendo, some of them are Sega, <laughs> and Fantasy Star uh, would be the game that I would list as my favorite for, I don't know, many tournaments, yeah. including the Sonic and Knuckles one in my EGM interview. Yeah. I said my, my favorite game was Fantasy Star. And it's such a strange game to pick, I guess, in that context, because they're probably expecting you to pick something where you're like a game you can speed run. Or, right, something know. competitive or yeah. something, um, I don't know, like not not one where you kind of like sit down and like like enjoy it for the story. Right, you're not going to see Fantasy Star like in a tournament. <laughs> yeah, the tournament. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> yeah, right, of course. Um, and so from there, then, I guess, tell us a little bit about how you got into the Sonic and Knuckles Rock the Rock. Because I watched it, I've watched it a few times, but I watched it recently last night, and it's weird, right? Yeah, no, that, um, the Rock the Rock, it's really underrated and not talked about too much. But it was amazing because it was a true international competition. And you'd have things that would claim to be a world championships, like the Nintendo World Championships, but it's only open to people in the United States. Mm -hmm. But uh, for the Sonic and Knuckles uh, Hard Rock Cafe thing, uh, the preliminaries, they simultaneously held competitions all over the world. They had people from France, they had people from Germany, Japan, Brazil. I don't know all the countries by heart, but those were some of the countries that they had. Mm -hmm. And uh, many, many cities in the U.S., and they all had them at the same time, so you could not city hop like you could in the NWC. You had to be at one and win there, uh, and then they would fly you out uh, pretty much directly to Alcatraz for uh, the grand finals. Okay, so like uh, in in it, I was seeing you get arrested. <laughs> so how were you arrested? Because I don't think I saw that part. Um, well, I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're we're growing up now, so we know that everything on TV is kind of for show. Yeah. And uh, I mean, when. What happened was, you know, they had the preliminaries, and um, you know, I, I would win. They had our finals, and then they like would put us in like. In my case, it was a jean jacket. Uh, other locations had prison stripes. Uh, mine was, I think, you know, the, the jacket was a little cooler looking, so I was pretty happy with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they, you know, they said, "Oh, you win. You're time to go to Alcatraz." And uh, for me, it wasn't so bad because they had. I mean, Alcatraz was local to San Francisco, and I'd won my regional in San Francisco. This was a sort of tournament where I kind of knew about it, but, I mean, I had a history of competitive gaming, so I, might, I knew my chances were good, but you never know until you show up. And, uh, like, all my friends were entering, too, and, and they were really good players. Um, uh, there were other people who had competed in Nintendo World Championships as well. Uh, so I didn't know how well I was going to do, but it turns out, you know, I, I did pretty darn well and uh, ended up winning. I mean, if you look in, like, some of the videos, like, I have a like, two hours of, like, footage from it on camcorder video that uh, the Oakland Nintendo World Championships uh, adult winner had taken because he was my buddy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, you see guys like uh, uh, Jason Cole is, like, hanging out, and um, I think Graham Wolf is there, too, and those are some guys in the Street Fighter um, community. And they're, they're just, like, a lot of great players, Jeff Yoden and Mike Perring. Um, yeah, we were, all, we were all there, and we didn't know who was going to win. And the Bay Area was just filled with great, great talent, and... Uh, uh, well, I guess I got my shot. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the thing was hosted by Bill Bellamy and Daisy Fuentes. Yes. Um, did you mingle with them at all or meet them at all? Or was it mainly just like they presented and then they... Uh, they presented, they did the TV show. They did, you know, kind of hang out with us and they talked to us and, you know, they'd get, a, get interviews with us on camera. A lot of it didn't appear um, on um, the TV broadcast, of course. I mean, they had hours and hours of this stuff and they cut it down to like half an hour or less. Right. And they had to mix it in with this other uh, other stuff that I guess they're obligated to put it with. Um, there's actually other footage uh, from the tournament that's uh, online. There was like a Fox uh, News for Kids feature. Uh, someone had uploaded that to YouTube. Uh, there was another one that I was in for, um, I don't know, it's like some kind of tech TV sort of thing uh, that had some hosts and they had a bunch of other features on video games, which mm -hmm. is really funny because in the same video, I would see a video for rock the rock and then there would be like an ad for primal rage and the same thing. And it was just like really funny because <laughs> I sort of worked on primal rage. <laughs> right. Of course. That's funny. Um, so there were 25 people, 
twenty-five thousand dollars. It was like money. thirty people. So it wasn't. Yeah, yeah they were. They there, were there was like I have the video. I could probably. They they actually said like uh, on the stage. They said yeah, we had people from all over. They're like thirty-one maybe. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's, it so was. It, it the story varies, but yeah, I could look it up. If it was around somewhere between twenty-five and thirty-one. And what I thought was funny was they said the winner would receive. Twenty-five thousand uh, dollars in prize money and the secret of breakthrough lock-on technology. Did they share you the share the secret with you? I don't really know how they could. Well, share. at the um, event, they had a little press conference, and uh, you know they showed people for the first time that you could plug uh, old Sonic game mm-hmm. onto the new game, and you could basically you know dump the the ROM, the graphics ROM of the levels, and combine it with a new character, and that was. Like, they would call it lock-on technology, which, you know, I guess a mainstream person who doesn't really know how this stuff works would be able to comprehend it. Uh, so that was the secret. The, the secret was that you could play, um, sort of play your old character from, like, Sonic 2 or um, a different Sonic 3 and then put Knuckles in it. Right, of course. Um, which is, uh, I mean, if you think about it today, that's actually pretty innovative. Right. Um, maybe they got a little too wrapped up in the marketing speak because maybe they could have... Uh, made it so more than Sonic, like, could have been compatible. Like, yeah. what if, imagine, like, you could, like, you know, have Ryu, like, run through the game or something. Yeah. Or or they could partner with another company. You could stick, you know, the graphics ROM data from whatever game they wanted to, and uh, before they release it, they, you know, they they have it preloaded so that it'll uh, allow you to kind of, like, do mods on the fly. But that was sort of what it was back then. Yeah, it's almost like Amiibos now, where you're like, if you have this, you can put so-and-so in your game, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um that's interesting. So they didn't they didn't really like share new secret information with you. It was mainly just Oh, well, we got to know about it before everybody else in the world did. But I mean, that that wasn't that long from after the tournament, so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so they I saw them going around and they were asking people, "What's the first thing you would buy?" And they didn't air what they asked you, but do you remember what you said to them? The first thing you'd buy if you won the prize. Oh, they did, actually. It was oh, the very did. last thing that they said. Uh, I didn't catch that. What was um, it? Daisy Fuentes said, $25,000, what are you going to do? And, I, and this is literally what I said. I'm going to buy more games. Play, 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 play. <laughs> and that's how they ended the show. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's there. That's and uh, they uh, when I went to Sega headquarters, I think it was a couple of weeks later, um, Tom Kalinske actually asked me again, like, what I'm going to do. And... Um, I said, yeah, I'm you know, going to buy more games, and that's pretty much what I said on TV. And he said, oh, but we're going to give you all the Sega games for a couple of years now. You're not going to buy any of our games. I'm like, no, I'm going to buy your arcade games. <laughs> so, <laughs> so did you buy any arcade cabinets or anything? Uh, well, I mean, I collected boards. I've been collecting boards for a while now. Um, I think uh, I started with, like, Capcom stuff, so I, I would get, like, Trojan and Legendary Wings and Gunsmoke and, like, all the stuff I had on the NES, mm-hmm. Commando. Uh, Speed Rumbler, some of those are my favorites. Um, I got a lot of Konami stuff, Contra, Super Contra, Ajax, um, and I got a couple of Sega ones. I got Quartet because the music's oh, I really love good. Quartet's music. Yeah, so yeah, good. I got it just for the music. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I think most of the money just went to a new computer so I could you know get better work done. Right. And yeah, that went a long way. So uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with how things went. That's awesome. So. Um, at the at the tournament, like with the Nintendo World Championships, they had special cartridges. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have one of those, I'd assume. Oh yeah, actually, yeah. I still have mine. So that's cool. I almost sold it off, and then uh, one of my friends, uh, Robin Mahara, who had uh, uh, also been a Nintendo World Championships finalist, uh, like he he said, "Dude, don't sell your cartridge, man!" Like because he he sold his and he kind of regretted it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, "Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. I, I'll hold on to that for a little while longer." Because who, who knows what's going to happen, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so at the Sonic and Knuckles tournament, they didn't have like a. I know they didn't give you guys special cartridges, but they didn't have a special cartridge made for the tournament, did they? At the time that the tournament happened, Sonic and Knuckles was not out yet. Mm-hmm. And actually, as a competitor, I did not know that you could like lock it on. So mm-hmm. um, when they told us that we'd be playing Sonic Three, like the fact that we we're going to be using Knuckles and it was actually a secret. Okay. So if you want to talk about like uh, it being a contest car- cartridge that other people wouldn't be able to practice on, yeah, actually you couldn't practice because um, you you would have to have had it ahead of time, and I didn't. Um, okay. And Sonic and Knuckles, like I did, I did study with Sonic. Like I studied Sonic Three playing as Sonic, mm-hmm. and because I knew the level layouts um, for uh, the finals, um, 
that's what I that's the knowledge I used and mm-hmm. and how I was able to win. That's how I knew that. It's it's interesting because on the video it shows like a countdown and it shows like it going three, two, one, and then it shows me winning. Mm-hmm. That actually happened ten seconds before uh, the actual finish. Oh, because um, I looked at my score and I looked at his score and I knew the last level of Sonic Three so well that I knew every single ring you could possibly get mm-hmm. and I'd gotten all of them at a perfect run. Oh, wow. uh, I looked at his skin, he was like 20 behind and like not even close. So ten, I was already celebrating like 10 <laughs> seconds before. So. so it was the most rings and the highest score? No, it was just rings. Just rings. Just okay, rings, yeah. okay. I mean, it's it's a lot of pressure because if you get hit, like it's yeah. basically, you have to go through the entire tournament. And like imagine this, like going through round after round of being uh, of eliminations. And if you ever get hit and lose your rings, it's all over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure. And, That's tricky. Yeah. So, um... I, th- I think they interviewed you and you gave a, a tip. You were like, I think, did were you the one that said keep it cool and keep moving? Was that you? Yeah, it probably was. You make sure nothing hits <laughs> nothing you. Nothing hits you. Never and be ever, careful. Yeah. <laughs> Good Don't advice. get hit. So what actually? So what advice would you give like now to people who are trying to either speed run a game like that or collect all the rings in the fastest amount of time? Hmm. What's your advice? Well, nowadays, I mean, it depends on what the stakes are. I mean, when you're playing in a live competition and you could get eliminated if you ever get hit. Um, then that's going to be the the rule set that you go by. Now, if you're trying to speed run something, um, geez, I'm. I mean, I I know of speed running techniques, and I I think it's funny because the Nintendo Championships that I did for Hawaii um, was kind of like a primitive version of speed running, mm-hmm. uh, except it was like a speed run and a score run at the same time. Um, no, get to know the level. Um, do things like experiment and do things that other people might not think of because that's kind of how I compete too. I try to think outside the box and then and then like break the game in in ways that other people wouldn't think of. I actually have a some kind of strange satisfaction I get from uh, finding things that I think that other people don't know about games. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so from there, you you went. Did you do any other major competitions from there? I know you've done some. Yeah, I mean, I, on and off like. The thing is, I was actually, it's strange because I was working on video games and competing in these things, and they're, I don't know, it, it was strange because I, there are all these guys in the Bay Area who do this. They'd be really good at video games, they'd enter contests, they would write for magazines, and they work at game companies. And I was another one of those guys that did all three. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's just something that comes with the territory of, of, you know, loving playing video games. But, uh, when I started working for Capcom, like, I was, I didn't feel like it was right for me to enter fighting game tournaments anymore. Um, Interestingly, I entered the very first Street Fighter II tournament that was ever held, mm-hmm. and I got the most kick-ass trophy from it. It's like a karate dude. Oh, wow. Yeah, because that's what they got for, you know, for that was what was available, but it, it actually made sense, and I got third. Oh, nice. Uh, and it's one of my favorite trophies, even though it's third, because it was just like, it's like a Street Fighter trophy, and it, it's got a karate guy on it. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, I took Shotokan when I was a kid, so I kind of understood that, yeah, that kind of that works. So, um, so Capcom was the first uh, game developer that you started working. No, with. actually, no. no it, it, it goes actually. It stems from Nintendo World Championships. After I won Nintendo World Championships, I actually met um, people that worked at Atari. Okay. Uh, which is very strange because Atari and Nintendo were at war at the time, and they were suing each other. And it was kind of crazy. Where it's like, you know, I was like kind of like a fan of uh, Tengen Tetris, and there was like Nintendo Tetris, and Nintendo Tetris was a game that we had to play for the championships. Uh, so uh, I started going into uh, uh, Tengen when I was extremely young. Like that's like I don't really, didn't really talk about it before because I was like I was like so young. I like I was I couldn't get a work permit legally, but they paid me out of their pocket. But that was how I got my start in the industry, and I got a lot of great experience there. Um, Tengen, Atari, nothing, no other place like it on Earth um, for creating games. I mean, they had people there like Ed Log and uh, Mike Halley and people who had made these legendary games. Uh, over the course of so many years that that I idolized, and they were still there doing it, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to see that in action. And there's all this history there, and it was like a miniature city uh, that had all these different uh, systems, like you know, kind of like government and like industry, and like if I needed like something like a control panel drilled, I would like you know go down the hall and turn left, and then there are these guys like working on the metal shop, and then like next thing I know, like they you know they banged out like in like an hour like a you know, two-player, six-button Street Fighter like control panel because because I needed it for the control pedestal I just bought from the game design department who was selling off their control pedestals, and I'm like, this is really cool. This is, and uh, that that was my home. Like, uh, I went on like a independent study program for school, so I didn't have to go to school full time, mm-hmm. and I just I worked on games um, when I was a kid, and uh, it was my dream. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, the first job I had was actually at a uh, Atari Tengen. There's a 
I, I don't know what my official title was. Uh, it's more like kind of like product development consultant. We did things like game counseling. Um, I wrote manuals. Um, okay. So I wrote the manuals for Gauntlet 4. Actually, Gauntlet 4 is probably the proudest uh, thing I got to work on in that era uh, before I worked on CoinOp uh, with Primal Rage. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some interesting stories from Gauntlet 4. Do you want to hear them? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. So th- this, is a, this, is, this is a good story, and I think you'll appreciate it because uh, it, it has very deep roots with Sega mm-hmm. and especially what they're doing with now. <clears throat> okay, so we usually got these uh, products in... You know, usually they're from Europe. They'd be typically bad games. Um, and we'd say, like, oh, well, you know, we won't bring this out. We, we don't care for it. Um, and they'd ask us, like, what they can do to improve them. Like, what, they, what does it take for, for this product to succeed? Because a lot of them, like, really want to get you know, get their games, like, published. And um, Atari, Tengen, even though we were at war with Nintendo, they were extremely powerful in the Genesis. Like, they had a huge market share. Mm-hmm. Ms. Pac-Man was still making money for them years after the fact. Um, so... We get products across our table. We'd write reports on them. We did rug reports. Um, like I said, I'd write manuals and stuff like that. So a lot of the general work that needed to get done for a consumer release, like we did it. Um, so we, one day we got this version of uh, Gauntlet in, and um, I had played a lot of NES Gauntlet. And NES Gauntlet uh, had an ending. It had bosses. It had more of a quest. It was actually more fit for a consumer game than it was for an arcade game because the arcade game, all it needs to do is suck quarters down right. and kill your dudes and uh, it makes money. Uh, but for a home game, it needed to have a quest. You need to be able to like play it with your buddy long-term and mm-hmm. password system for saves and, and, yeah, like an ending and like more of a point, more like an RPG. So we got this version of Gauntlet in. It's a really good version of Gauntlet like in terms of like recreating sort of like the arcade graphics and sounds. And... Um, uh, it was good for what it was, but we were in, like, 1993, 1994 even, and uh, we were in the era where um, home games, you expected, like, hour-long quests and something with the theme, medieval theme of Gauntlet. You expected more of an RPG, more of a quest, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And, uh, like, I, yeah, in my report, I said, you know, I, I kind of like this, but um, it's probably not going to do well here because it has to be at least as good as NES Gauntlet. Because right. NES Gauntlet had come out, like, in 86 or 87, like, way back, like... Like, almost 10 years before that. So people had expectations of what it should be. So I wrote, um, like, a proposal. I said, okay, well, this thing could probably come out here, but you have to um, have more content, um, put an RPG mode in. Instead of getting points, you get experience points, you level up, you get you improve your abilities, um, have shopkeepers be able to buy items and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, give us, like, 300 levels. I know, like, so, some of the things I asked for were completely, like, insane and, like, developers probably hated me because I would like have really bad demands. And even though some of them were lazy and didn't want to like do the things that they should probably have done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I look back at some of my old reports and I'm like, man, I was like pretty harsh back then. Yeah. So uh, we're like, okay. So yeah, that was gauntlet. And you know, we, we send our report off and uh, we went back to work um, playing really bad games like pit fighter and road blasters. Mm-hmm. But um, six months later, game comes back. So we popped this gauntlet version of gauntlet and we're like, okay, so what they do? First of all, it had this amazing music. It was just like the best music we had ever heard in the Genesis. We were starting to get excited. We are like, what's going on here? And we looked at the menu, and it said Quest Mode. And it had RPG experience points, uh, shops you could buy items. It had theme towers. It had boss dragons. Uh-huh. Everything I had asked for, except maybe not as many levels. Mm-hmm. And I was just like blown away. I'm like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And um, that, uh, that became Gauntlet 4. And wow. uh, that was one of the best Genesis games made. It had music from, um, I think it was Masahiro Iwata and um, uh, the guys that did Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, it's really well known for being a game with great Genesis audio and being just one of the best games on the system because it had multiplayer, it had a long quest. It's just really well done. And uh, um, the fact that I got sort of like a, a proposal in to make that game better and to, to become what it was... Uh, was one of the most proud, proudest moments that I had, just even just being around in that building. Wow. And uh, why this is so important to uh, you guys at Sega Bits and Sega history in general is that was the first game that M2 made. Oh, wow. Yes. And that's a very big part of their history and something that I like looked back on. I didn't even find this out until much later, that it was M2 that, that did that. Yeah. And something that uh, M2 does in their games now is they do something that's more than they have to do. That's part of what they do as a developer. And uh, when they did that uh, for uh, Gauntlet 4, I think that was maybe 
their first what they call in their uh, interviews like a grand and off or like some kind of like yeah. this has got to be the thing that like you know people are gonna like really like about it then mm-hmm. and it has to do with a deep understanding of um uh what what a fan would like someone who like loves that game like what are they gonna enjoy about it right. and uh i really am happy when i see developers do that and they're, they're not very many in this world but m2 is like one of them and uh uh, my respect for them is just knows no knows no bounds, and um, that was just something where I look back at it, and I'm just like I'm so proud to have been part of that project. So oh, that's, that's awesome. my early like Genesis uh, yeah. development story. That's really uh, cool. Hope you like that one. I know yeah. it's really long winded, and <laughs> no, yeah. no, that's awesome, and it kind of brings things full circle because you know, like one of the things I was kind of promoting here for Sega mm-hmm. um, is the 3D Classics right, release, right. which they worked on. And you're yep. right; they always go above and beyond. You know, it's not you're not just getting Fantasy Zone. You know, two, which in and of itself was them going above and beyond back in 2008. You're getting, they have that loop link land. I don't know if you checked that out, but it's like, it's that like they took story. an 8 bit like style game and they turned it into a 16, System 16 game. Yeah, exactly. And, and then on top of that, they have like these funny credit sequences where they have all the sprites from different games coming together and all mm-hmm. these little jokes. And so it's like. Yeah, yeah, no one else does that. Like, they didn't have to do that. Most companies that, that do like a re-release, they're just like, oh, it's an HD, ship it, no new features. Mm-hmm. But nope, Space Harrier, I get a new boss, really? Like, you know, the Master System high I you know, they actually put that in there. Yeah. You know, complete with the music and everything, and Thunderblade gets a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them they didn't do very much. Like, I don't think they did really anything for Power Drift, um, even though uh, they, they said in their interviews that Power Drift in itself was like a, an extra. So, yeah. All right, so, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. <laughs> So, so from there, then you went on to Capcom. Yes. Um, and what was your first major project at Capcom? Well, what had happened actually? I worked on Primal Rage. Primal Rage did amazingly, um, and then Primal Rage Two uh, got canceled. Uh, Midway bought the company, and you know there was a lot of uh, politics involved. And um, even though it was um, pretty far along, and uh, actually part of the reason why I'm here at Galloping Ghost um, for this interview is because they have Primal Rage 2 here, and it's sort of a thing of legend now. Uh, so um, I, they said I could join another team if I wanted to, but I chose not to, and uh, actually I kind of had it lined up at Capcom, and uh, Street Fighter 3 was the first thing. Oh, Street wow. Fighter 3 and Dark Souls 3. Um, I got to do cool things, like um, come up with fighting game systems and uh, like new features, uh, some of the moves, particularly like Yun, uh, from like Yun and Yang, what made them different? Uh, I think EX moves were were something that I came up with, mm-hmm. where you hit two buttons and it, it uses meter. Oh, cool! Uh, special taunts, uh, things like that. I wrote all of the win quotes, uh, things that characters say to each other when they beat each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have a favorite? I've got a lot of favorite ones. Well, what are a few? Um, my uh, Akuma. A weak body for a weak soul. It was an easy. It was an easy task to separate the two. <laughs> That's nice. Um, a lot of Ryu channels, kind of like how I like to live my life. Um, I think uh, trying to remember what my favorite Ryu one is. I can tell you what my favorite Ken one is. What is this it? one's really cool because it actually got into HD Remix. Like I guess they they're like looking for which I, I didn't actually work on HD Remix, but they actually uh, got Street Fighter Two and they made they updated Street Fighter Two and they gave them quotes that were from other Street Fighter games. Hmm. Uh, so uh, it's it's really funny. Uh, is it? Um, I need a better workout than this. Where's Eliza? <laughs> and it's really kind of like a, it has multiple meanings. It's like, uh, right. you're so weak that like fighting my girlfriend would be a better workout than this. Right. Or, you know, he, he's, he wants to get it on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. Slip that one by the censors. <laughs> and then there's ones that did get censored. Um, my favorite one I wrote for Marvel versus Capcom that did not get in the game. Mm-hmm. Would you like to hear that? Yeah, go for it. Dr. Light. Who was that guy? Suck man. <laughs> you know, because it's like fireman shoots fire, yeah, ice man shoots ice. Suck man, he sucks. Yeah. And they wouldn't let that Why go. They let that yeah, my go. producer said later on that like if he yeah, if it had gone like six months later it would have gotten in, but <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, so, suck man. <laughs> so you um in terms of let's talk about some of the, the Capcom games that appeared on the Dreamcast. Yeah, so you yeah, I did. worked on Power Stone? Yeah, yeah, there's like localization stuff, yeah. um fighting systems, things like that. Cool. I didn't like to be honest. I got down and dirty in the trenches a little bit more at Atari than I did at Capcom. Mm-hmm. Capcom's kind of like a international company, even though I worked for Capcom Japan. Um, well, they did a lot of sort of like the the stuff that you know I used to do, which was like time moves and you know just like get down into the systems and make stuff from scratch. I, I didn't get to do a whole lot of that at Capcom, but mm-hmm. it was more uh, more administrative, more um, like 
writing things and writing reports and um, that sort of thing. Kind of, kind of miss getting down and dirty with it. But, yeah. Uh, but I, I had fun with it, and like some, like I said, I had a lot of fun with my writing. Yeah. And you, you were telling me um, before we started recording about uh, tech romancer. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. You tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, I mean, my my story was just this little aside because. I came up with like this list, this long list of really great names for the game, and uh, it's called Kikaio in Japan, which translates to you know Machine King. So I thought that you know just call it Machine King. It's like it's a translation, and you know people like good you know just good direct translations. And and then I came up with a bunch of other things that they could name it too. And I said, oh well, I you know there's this name Techromancer. Um, I think you guys should use it for like an RPG or something different. And they ended up using it for Kikaio, which is like mm-hmm. a robot fighting game that has robots from different genres, like Mighty Robots and Kitty Robots and um, Gundams and like Macross Valkyries fighting yeah. each other. Um, so I guess it kind of works, but it doesn't really sound magical, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it went down that way, and uh, you know they they recorded like crazy announcer for that Jack Romancer. Yeah, of course. Just, yeah, it's just, everybody remembers that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's cool because like uh, our producer in our game is actually the same guy I worked with at, at Capcom okay. uh, for the game I'm working with now. So we we always like joke around and laugh about our old you know war stories from from Capcom. We, right. we still we still do it. So let's talk a little bit about that game. So this sure. was a uh, a secret. Yep, secret, super secret. Um, I mean, it's not a secret anymore, but you know, we wanted to at least have if we're going to show this thing at all, we want to at least be a little special. And uh, we have like kind of like a nice connection with uh, Galloping Ghost, and uh, uh, they've treated me so well. And you know, they have the facilities here to like produce arcade games. Um, and I knew that I, I visited here last year, and I had a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had been talking about. It. I I sort of showed them a little bit of what I was developing, just because they were curious, and um, they they really liked it. And uh, here we are, like a year later, and they said Sega Week was coming up, and I was like, it was like two months ago. It was, it was like right, right when you guys were talking about it. And, mm-hmm. I had wondered whether or not, you know, it had to do with uh, what you had been talking about, I guess, with Aaron Weber about, like, you got to check out Galloping Ghost Arcade. They got to take a Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. I'm like, oh, they're going to do an event? Oh, cool. Well, <laughs> that must be the one they were talking about. Yeah. Um, but no matter what it was, it was just like, it's Sega week. And it's like, you know, if they can put together a cabinet for us and, you know, we can get our game up into, like, playable, like, good condition mm-hmm. in that time, like, this would be, like, a great you know, chance to, you know, have people play it and, it'll like sort of get our butt in, in, in gear to, you know, really ramp up and, and test to see like just how far we can, how serious we are and how, how far we can take it. First, we know we're going to be serious and try to take it as far as we can, but like there's nothing more motivated than, a, you know, a trial by fire. And this had completely delivered that. This is an amazing experience in every way, even though I'm tired and I'm like wired up on like my bloodstream is probably 99% rock star right yeah. now. Um, but it's good because it's, I'm totally wired for this interview and I've That's just great. been like talking like nonstop. Yeah. You can crash after this too. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually we're going to like bug fix some stuff and like update the ROM tomorrow. Right. Of course. Uh, but yeah, the game, um, is, uh, it's a strike harbinger. It's a, it's a spiritual successor to Sega sci-fi games of the eighties and nineties. Um, and along the lines of Fantasy Star and Fantasy Star 4, Space Harrier, Afterburner, Galaxy Force, Quartet, uh, you know, spacey, futuristic, um, really cool, like, not the kind of sci-fi that they have now, which is just kind of, like, gritty and grungy and people yelling at each other. It's more right. futuristic, techy. Um, it, get, it gets your imagination going when you see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wonder what the story is behind the worlds that they're in, and um, it's something, it's an aesthetic, and it's a gameplay style that, that we really enjoy. Yeah, definitely, and um, you know, I saw you guys unveiling it, and then I had the, uh, the the honor of being able to be the first person not involved in the project to to play it. Yeah, yeah, and it was a great great to. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, I, I would say like Space Harrier is the mm-hmm. first thing that comes mm-hmm. to mind, but then when you start playing it, you start to see that there's a lot more to it. Like you were talking about Fantasy Star, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might say, well, how the hell can how can how the hell can you have? Fantasy it's Star? about gameplay systems, you know. You've got a sword, actually. Yeah. Your, your gun transforms into a sword, and yeah. like you attack with it. And if you notice, there are extreme, stri- extremely strange coincidences between Fantasy Star and Space Harrier. If you notice in Fantasy Star and Space Harrier. Uh, for the Genesis, mm-hmm. um, part two of each, Fantasy Star 2 uh, and Space Harrier 2, if you hit pause, they have the same pause tone. Mm-hmm. Um, if you uh, notice, like, in the battles in Fantasy Star 2, there's, like, the grid. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you, I'm not sure if you watch uh, Sega Hard Girls, but yeah, they do. actually have, um, 
when they play on the Space Harrier machine, it's in the room with the Fantasy Star grid, and it even has the Mother Brain flames in the background. And I'm just like, wow, this is there's there's some connections here, right? And, like the sci-fi, just the aesthetic and certain things about it, they just like fit right in there with each other. So uh, while our game currently being shown at Galloping Ghost is an arcade game, we're actually planning to have a lot much more um, that will extend beyond what people would expect from just merely what might be a Space Harrier or an Afterburner or a Galaxy right. Force. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be revealing that um, in the months to come. Right, of course. Our, our producer's adamant about us not, like, like spilling everything. So Of course. you got to yeah. keep some secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, for those listening, then, the way it's set up is you have um, a... a uh, a flight stick almost right mm-hmm. with the firing button on top mm-hmm. uh, uh firing s- is trigger, trigger so it's like your trigger. yeah trigger finger and there's another button for special moves with your that you can use with your thumb mm-hmm. and they're um they have face buttons on on the panel so you can if you don't want to use the buttons on the stick you can use the buttons on the panel right and for so lefties I, and righties yeah so i saw that there's um there's two buttons on the left two on the right so it depends on which hand you know you're yeah using whatever you're stick. comfortable with uh then there's the button in the middle now what is that one in the middle do? that's the boost button okay uh, it's another thing that you can do in the game um it, it makes your character move faster so if you um if you're moving left or right and you hit boost you're going to get a burst of speed it uses some energy but you can get out of bad situations with it if you hit that button right when you like slam into a pole or something you'll actually parry it like in street fighter 3 oh, wow. and it'll do less damage and it'll charge your super meter right um there's also you can do it with a joystick too so there is a boost button but you can actually boost by hitting the joystick left and right really fast so you can fly around and then bam, bam. Like it, we, I called it slam boosting. Yeah. Um, and I had to. I spent a lot of time tweaking it so you wouldn't get it by accident, but you'd actually get it when you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and the arcade machine is actually tweaked a little bit differently than uh, than on on a gamepad. And I actually have the game recognize whether or not you're using a home controller or the arcade controller, mm-hmm. and and it actually adjusts it on the fly. Um, and the other thing that's unique is there is actually an aim stick, which is a regular, uh, it's an analog joystick, but it's, it's kind of like a Sanwa fighting stick. Uh, mm-hmm. that's a little bit lower below the buttons and you can use your thumb or your palm to like aim and you can shoot, uh, kind of like a twin stick shooter. Right. So there's so many different ways that you can actually play the game. It might be a little intimidating at first, mm-hmm. but, um, after playing it for a while, I was just like, you know, when people, you know, approach the game, they just want to bang on a fire button. They've got that. Yeah. Uh, but if they get more advanced, then they'll learn how to use both sticks. And you can actually just play it with, like, one stick in the left hand, one stick in the right hand, and do everything that way. If you wiggle the uh, smaller stick, you actually get, like, massive firepower coming out. Yeah. So I, I sort of wrote the bezel so that it would give instructions on, on how to do that. Yeah, yeah. And it, I, I did liken it to uh, Virtual On, too, both mm-hmm. in controls. Because when you sit down in a Virtual On machine, it is a little intimidating at first. But once you get into it, it just it's like second nature. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that too with this. You know, you were moving the character around with the um with the like the flight stick mm-hmm. and then you've got your you know, your fingers pressing the buttons and then you've got that little uh what were you calling it? That little like joystick down there below. It's an aim stick. Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. that's what I ended up calling it as an aim, aim stick. stick. And so it it becomes second nature after a while. It's really yeah. It's really yeah, I'm, I'm glad that uh, even with your first game, you're able to sort of feel that. We what we wanted to do is we wanted to translate like a modern console gamepad to an arcade format in a comfortable way. Mm-hmm. So if you have right stick aiming uh, along with left stick movement, how would you do that on an arcade cabinet? Some people have used trackballs to do that, but for our purposes, being able to aim um, and have it center uh, mm-hmm. was was important because you might just have an enemy to the left or right, and you just want to like fire a quick shot at them. You just tap the stick, and and boom, they're gone. Right. Yeah. Cool. So it's right now. It's at five to ten. <laughs> it's like complete. really early. This yeah. is the first we've ever shown it to anyone, and it's you know most people wouldn't expect us to do it that way. They'd expect us to like kind of like have like a site or like some kind of blog or something. But we're like, no, we want people to actually come out, play the game, you know, talk about it and, you know, see it in action. Mm-hmm. Even the stream, like I hope that, you know, it conveys properly because, you know, they, the game is extremely high frame rate. Yeah. It's like, uh, I've been developing the game on a 120 Hertz monitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and with, with good, um, hardware. So we want to make it like fast and like bringing, the Sega gameplay and aesthetics up to the next level of technology, like you know, having real-time physics, real-time lighting, um, make it look, you know, have all new effects, um, things that you wouldn't see, you know, back in in the day. Um, there are a lot of indie developers that you know have pixel art and things like that that are purely retro, but we want to be an evolution of that retro. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people miss games and they want to you know play games that are like that, mm-hmm. but not too often do you get to see 
a successor that uses new technology and takes it to the next place that that those games would have been if they didn't stop making them. Right. And um, the thing that really struck out at me as I was developing this was I couldn't buy the game that I was making. I couldn't go out on Steam and say, okay, can I buy a modern version of Space Harrier or Afterburner? Well, Afterburner got pulled, but Mm. um, there was one example, right? Afterburner Climax got got pulled from from Xbox and PlayStation. Right. Uh, Outrun there is, but not Space Harrier. Right. And even Fantasy Star. So I took the games that I felt I missed the most and uh, used that as sort of like energy to create a new franchise. And uh, I'd like to liken what we're doing to uh, what Shovel Knight did for Capcom uh, Nintendo action platformers. Mm -hmm. Uh, What they did was, you know, they took tropes from Mega Man and DuckTales and and they did it really well. And they, even though that they were still in the retro space, they were able to add new things to the game. And I really respect them because they were, they didn't just like, like rip off Mega Man and DuckTales. They actually made it their own. They mm-hmm. added new things that those games didn't have. Um, they added new gameplay mechanics. They had inspiration from newer games like Dark Souls, and they even went at length uh, to talk about that. And, and we're doing that with Strike Harbinger. Like, you can run around and you can shoot, but you can also bust down poles with your sword. Right. And even if you don't have en- enough energy to bust it down with your sword, you can still hit the boost button and parry it like you're playing Street Fighter III. Right. Uh, and we imagine that people who get really good at the game might see an entire chain of pulls and just to show off, they'll so it's like, parry, 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 parry. I just die go that whole level. You yeah, know? And, right. Uh, I even balanced it so that if you uh, have no life and you parry, you still don't die. You, like, normally when you parry, you'll like, lose a little bit of health, but if you, if you can keep it going, like, you'll charge your super meter. It actually increases your super meter uh, the more times you do it. So mm-hmm. uh, there's like a sort of risk-reward and show-off mm-hmm. mechanism there and a lot of depth in our game. Um, and that'll extend to other modes, which may have you upgrading weapons or um, doing other things with your character. And uh, right now we've got one character in the game, but we're planning to uh, not just limit it to that one. That's cool. That's cool. So um, what are some of the Easter eggs that exist right now in the version that's out there? Is there anything you can talk about? Yeah. Like um, visual ones? There, there, there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, we're planning to do a lot, especially with the, like the writing. If you're a big Sega fan. If you beat the boss really fast, I mean, you could probably guess what we make her say. Mm-hmm. Uh, gotta go fast. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but it was really great. Uh, we uh, Nikki is our voice actress. She did an amazing job. Um, we had a lot of fun recording it, and she sounds like just as a character. Like I, I think this is going to be uh, some people's favorite character because we're giving her a great personality, and uh, like there's a lot of talk about um, how there aren't you know enough like strong female heroes, but they didn't grow up like playing stuff like fantasy star. Right. Um, or even stuff like recently there's, uh, there's ease games, um, that have like really strong female characters. And we want to like bring that to the next level too. And she's tough. She's got attitude and she says funny things. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sega's always been really great with female characters. Yeah, I yeah. Feel I mean, like. Riko Kodama is like amazing. Like, yeah. I just, I just wish they'd keep making those games. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to maybe someday they will, but until then, I'll be hard at work trying to, you know, uh, give a little bit back to uh, to that, uh, which uh, made me the the player and uh, the developer that I am now. Yeah. So does the does the uh, main character that's in the the demo version out there right now? Does she have a name? Yeah. What it's is uh, it? Uh, Valia Iris. Okay. Cool. And can you tell me a little bit of the plot, maybe? Yeah, maybe actually, I can right if you're interested in hearing it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, 1,000 years after the colonization of a planet, mm-hmm. um, there were you know, spacefaring people. No one knew where they came from. Something, something bad probably happened to them a long time ago, and they were, they were drifting on these spaceships. And one of them crash-landed on a place, and uh, it was a strange planet because you know, it, was, it was what we call grid-formed. It's like terraformed, but each of these uh, grids, which are either a hexagon or a square, like it's suited, you can like... You can do something to that square and make it like easy to grow plant life or or build like structures and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So it was like super terraformed and it was already pre-done. To, so someone had terraformed this thing or made it easily easily terraformed um, by by some force. No one knows who. It was uninhabited by like intelligent life from when from when it was colonized. So anyway, one thousand years later, bad stuff happens and uh, there's like this disease and all these people die and. Uh, people have to like uh, evacuate the planet, mm-hmm. and uh, there's there are these terrible monsters and creatures that are roaming the place. There's there's a lot of sci-fi in it. I, I wrote a really involved thing. It's like some it's it's gonna be great. You're gonna like it. 
but I don't want to like be too worried about it. So anyway, bad stuff happens. They get exiled off the planet, and um, eventually, you know, they they're going to have to militarize and try to find a way to take back the planet. Um, the thing, the menaces on the planet are really vicious, and the only way to overcome them is through extreme speed. Mm. Um, flight armor, known as Harbin Gear, become the weapon of choice. Um, kind of have some influences from Attack on Titan, where mm-hmm. like you know, if, if you lose your speed, you're dead. So mm-hmm. uh, in this game, speed is everything. Um, and uh, one thing that's found out is um, there's there's a disease, and if you want to be immune to the disease, if you're born off world, you can't get the disease. Mm. And uh, Valia was born off world somewhere else, and her parents were uh, were like space explorers that. Uh, um, bad things happened, and they were away from home, and uh, they came back, and uh, bad things happened, and uh, her parents end up getting killed, but um, she grows up um, with a mission mm-hmm. uh, to take back the planet someday, Cool. and uh, that's what that is. Um, she has, she has like a friend and mentor, it's like an older guy that uh, that served in the military that tried to take the, the back the planet uh, one time before, uh, but he failed, and uh, he was like serving with, uh, with her father, and he's like a good friend to her, and he's been taking care of her, and... Uh, uh, where she um, flies fast and uh, has a main uh, atomic blaster style gun. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got missile packs mm. uh, and can lock on. Oh, okay. So he would be playable eventually. He's an afterburner, but um, yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Wow. So you put a lot of thought into the lore behind this yeah. and everything like that. Like, I mean, even thinking back to both Fantasy Zone and Space Harrier, there's this whole history there that. You know, uh, in Fantasy Zone, they have these scrolls, and they talk about, like, in the year, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. XX. And then, um, I forgot who it was. Someone online, I think, uh, might have been Persona Sama, I think is his Twitter handle. But he went through, and he ordered all those. And he was like, look at this. There's this timeline. There's this big history mm-hmm. there behind all those games. And you never hear about it. And um, But uh, I guess when I've been watching Atari documentaries, they mm-hmm. talk a lot um, about the history behind... Um, Oh man, what is that game? That crazy one with the grid. It's just I'm at a blank right now, and you've got the um, the weird little bug thing flying around. Yars Revenge. Yars Revenge. Yeah, and there's this huge backstory behind that. Yeah, as yeah. Well. They add like comic books and stuff for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you going to? I mean, once. Oh, obviously, time. right. Yeah. Um, well, it was really useful because when I write this stuff, um, you know, it helps um, uh, the ideas for other things come together, like what levels we're gonna make. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, what, what are our cutscenes going to be like? And especially uh, what we found out lately, um, I was able to provide our voice actress with like who her character is mm-hmm. and like what kind of attitude she should have. You know, it's like she's young, she's confident, um, but um, you know she has this mission that she has to do. And uh, but yet she's like kind of like competitive inside, and she's like she has like an internal voice yeah. that's that's always like trying to like like be the best mm-hmm. and sometimes she lets it slip and like when she's fighting and she says certain things it's like you can kind of hear that as a player right. um but then the people around her actually don't hear that and then it's going to be hilarious when some of them do pick up on it and say like hey did you just did you just like say that yeah it's just like <laughs> that's really cool yeah so so it's it's not going to be like that story won't be in your face but you're definitely no no hints it's from it we we want to have the thing where it like uh, it leads you in, where right. it's like there's there's some mystery there and it gets you interested mm-hmm. and you want to find out more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do have like a story card on on the cabinet. Um, oh, that's cool. Uh, that I that I put on there. You can check it out a little bit yeah, later. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, I I was able to boil it down to two sentences actually. Oh, there you go. Um, but there's enough you know back there to you know have a full fledged you know RPG story and right. uh, we're uh, gonna take that to as far as we're gonna take it. So is there going to be? I know with some of these arcade games they loop. Um, I know, like Space Harrier has a V N. So is this going to have a ending? Um, Eventually, I mean, I know this is a long ways off. Yeah. But... So yeah, we're, I mean, we're over a year away from finishing, but arcade mode is only one part of the game. Okay. Uh, and in it, you know, the context of it is, you know, you're going to play through some stages, and uh, it might be like you take a certain path that you want to take because mm-hmm. you can't have someone playing in the arcade for you know, twenty hours just on one run. Right. Like you'll play a, a selection of levels and then you'll beat it and then um maybe we'll have a system where you can like save it to like a card or even just that individual machine because some games do that mm-hmm. and then you get like another reward for being the you know having your name in it and then doing every level in the game that's awesome um, on multiple playthroughs that sort of thing oh wow uh, but for home uh, and for a console like uh, there's going to be um 
many ways to go through the game, uh, many reasons to repeat levels uh, and to have fun in our world. Uh, one thing that I think games don't do enough is, you know, they'll have a game and they go through the trouble of making, you know, um, a fun gameplay, but uh, there's no replay value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, they'll try to make replay value, but it still feels like a grind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to have, like, like replay value that, that you're not doing it just to grind. Like, you're actually having fun with it. And then just the fact that, you know, you're able to, like, get, you know, better weapons or, like, some story logs and, and things like that. It's just, like, icing on the cake. Yeah. So, um like the fun factor of the game is is something that we're really focused on, and just being able to like move your character around and blow stuff up, we we definitely wanted like that to to be front and center. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really cool. So this is the only place that people can play it right now. It yeah, and it's only got to be here for a couple of days. Yeah. So get. I mean, by the time someone hears this, yeah, it won't it, be. Here, yeah, right? it won't be here. But we do plan to update uh, and um, like bring a, a version back when it's in the next stage, next phase, and eventually it'll, be, it'll become like a permanent uh, machine here mm-hmm. at the arcade, just because Galloping Ghost is awesome and you know, Doc's been doing so much to oh, yeah. to help us, and um, uh, even just just being here and being around this uh, atmosphere where people are playing games and and uh celebrating sega like uh there's nothing else like it yeah absolutely um so i guess to end things here i want to ask you maybe if if you were to give advice to someone either trying to break into the games industry or someone in the games industry right now who's maybe they're struggling with getting some ideas off the ground um something like that is there any advice that oh you man give? yeah this is actually a good you know reflection on on what i just talked about is that sometimes like if you make what you like and what you feel that like doesn't exist that only you could make like even if you don't have the ability to make it right this second you know maybe over time you'll find the way to do it like if i told myself i'd be coding like everything in this game like two years ago i'd say you're crazy and you should like like i don't know do some do something else or (laughs) i don't know it i never thought i'd have to do that and uh, when i first started the project you know I, i would you know, be asking for code support from from producer or or something else, or would think we'd have to hire a programmer or something like that. Because you know, even though I do have experience in in development and I've done, um, you know, I would you know do systems on games like you know I did AI for Primal Rage and I did scripting for all sorts of stuff on Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't have that the ability to do what I'm doing like today. Like today, when I had to get the game ready for the arcade and I had to you know solve problems and fix bugs and and do everything in real time you know i I had to like knowing that it was going to be an arcade i had to program a high scoreboard uh i had to you know make it save you know the the score so that when you power it off for power it on i actually made the box that goes into the arcade machine power up act exactly like an arcade board boot straight to the game with no os Mm -hmm. uh and I, i figured out how to do that in like geez, less than three weeks. Like, we didn't have very much time to prepare for this, but mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? You know, we got to do this. We're serious about it. It's got to get done. No one else is going to do it but you. Yeah. So when you realize that if there's if you have a dream or if you have a game that you want to make or you can't play what you want to play uh, and you're trying to find inspiration for it, like think of the thing that you wish you could play the most. Like, um, out of it, it doesn't even matter what it is. And then just uh, work little by little towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn more every day and you never... It, it's never a bad day to learn new things. Yeah. Um, and every, I think I just remembered um, one of my favorite Street Fighter quotes I, I wrote was, um, "Every moment gives us gives us a chance to become more than what we are." And uh, if you use all of your moments and uh, you're constantly improving yourself, then you can make anything happen. Nice. Wow, that's inspirational. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Read some of uh, Rue's win quotes from like Third Strike and uh, Alpha Three. Yeah. And I wrote a lot of like fun inspirational stuff that's really cool uh, especially for Ryu. um ken has fun stuff akuma has like brutal stuff of course sagat's like all vengeful like i really liked writing for street fighter yeah it's a, it's a very great experience nice well now you're writing for your own new game yeah yeah i'm i've just been a huge sci-fi buff and like i love stories yeah i love immersing myself in them and i think a lot of um a lot of what goes wrong in the world today is because people have stopped using their imagination and, and dreaming and, mm-hmm. and thinking like, well, look to the stars, like, you know, what's out there? Let's find out more, um, you know, and immerse yourself as a mis- in the mysteries of life and find out things that other people um, haven't discovered before. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, awesome. Well, 
Chris, thank you so much for talking. Oh, thanks, Barry. This is a great interview. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, well, here we are. Now you are in the pantheon of uh, Segovitz Swing and Report Show interviews. Thanks. I'm sorry if it's so wordy. I mean, I was just... Like I said, I just jacked myself up on rock stars like for like two months straight, and yeah, yeah this is sort of like the happy like epilogue uh, yeah. for now. Yeah, for now, you know, you get back to work, but there won't be that crunch time. Yeah, yeah, this was like the the craziest self imposed crunch I've ever been in, and like I've you know I've worked in the industry like all my life, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one was special because I like when you know what's at stake and you know what the opportunities are, and and you really like love the people that you're going to be showing something to. Uh, then, then you know, you'll do it, and you won't regret it. You mm-hmm. and you won't feel bitter about it. It's not like working for a company that's like saying you have to work this hard. It's more like I can, yeah, you know, I, I just can't wait to see people like enjoying the game, and I can't wait to see it, you know, up in lights in the arcade cabinet and people talking about it, and and you know, people like you like playing it, who's like you know probably be a huge critic of it because you're so familiar with the things that are that that's inspired by and Mm -hmm. uh if we can you know serve you and give you an experience that you like then we know we've done our job and that there's no better feeling than that it was a fantastic game so i mean what what's there right Mm -hmm. now it's super early and like yeah it's we're still a little nervous about you know people seeing it so early but Mm -hmm. uh we hope that it's a good start and we had to start somewhere i keep on telling my producer it's like you know we could keep it a secret forever but you know we're gonna have to tell people about it somehow and uh yeah, this is just the motivation we need to mm-hmm. uh, to sort of like boost it. And uh, people who have been asking me, "What are you working on?" and I'm like, "I can't talk about it yet." Well, I, now I can like say, "Like, okay, yeah, I'm working on that thing." Yeah, uh, that thing that Sega people like. Yeah, well, I'll definitely stay in touch with you on it. I I definitely want to have you come back on once it's further along. We can oh, talk yeah, about yeah. Uh, what you've added, what you've changed, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. Um, is there somewhere online where people can uh, hear your thoughts or musings, Twitter, Facebook, something like that? Not yet. Um, like I said, I've been sort of just like head headlong dived into development and just you know hammering this thing out, especially in the last two months after we found out that we're coming here for, for this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there hasn't been much time for anything else, and I, I'm not super visible on social media, even though like there's... There's probably people who you know would think that I'd have like a bigger presence, but I've just I've just been really busy, and I think that's that's the difference uh, between a lot of people who are who are in this sort of thing is like people like don't have time when they're really they don't have time to do those extra things when they're super busy and still in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm definitely still in the trenches and, and trying to you know make great games and uh, like maybe when <laughs> when the dust is settled I'll have time to like talk about it on yeah. you know social media and stuff. But for now it's just like yeah we're. Where do I find the time? No, do what works for I you. I want to go play Dark Souls 3. I haven't even gotten to touch it yet. Yeah, There's exactly. so many games. Like, uh, it's like, put my life on hold and, you know, for the deadlines. And, yeah. and now that I'm now, now that this is sort of over, I can actually go back to the arcade and play some games and yeah. go home and play Dark Souls 3 and listen to more of your podcasts. And this is like, yeah, <laughs> life will be really good. Yeah, but. you've you've earned this uh, small break before you get back to work on it. Because yeah. you've already told me there's already changes. Yeah, but actually, yeah. I mean, I, I do have like a Facebook account. And the first thing I'm going to say is the battle has ended in a resentment success yes which is the thing that space Harrier says when he, when he <laughs> completes his mission yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome well chris thank you again for sitting down to talk um and uh we'll be in touch and uh yeah and you know check segabits.com we'll post updates to the game if need be you know uh it's, it's yeah when we young. have more to talk it's really early like it is just like a sneak peek like just to get it out there we're actually talking about it in terms of like well when people find out about it later they'll come back and look at this and mm-hmm. they'll say like oh well look how legit it was like you know even way back then and that's yeah. that's the sort of thing that we wanted to establish now and uh have something where you know real sega enthusiasts and people who love uh games like this uh will be able to not not just like hear about it but to actually enjoy it yeah absolutely congrats again thanks uh, and uh, we'll have you back on so uh thanks for listening everybody
The Segabits Swingin' Report Show is a production of Segabits. Segabits is a fan site that is not in any way officially affiliated with Sega. Sonic the Hedgehog and all Sega-related trademarks are copyright Sega. All other featured trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Don't forget to check out Segabits.com, and you can find us on all major social networks. Just search Segabits. 